Welcome to Otaku Brothers, your friendly neighborhood gaming podcast featuring Rusty and Ryan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 114 of Otaku Brothers. My name is Rusty, and as always, I'm joined by my forever co-host and tinfoil hat-wearing brother-in-law today. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing great. Yeah, so um, the plan was for me to make tinfoil hats, because this is the conspiracy part two episode, Mm -hmm. and I was originally going to make it because I just bought a whole new roll of tinfoil for this occasion, and I was like, oh shit, as I was like prepping, like getting jazzed up. I dropped off Nala, mm-hmm. leaving their house, listening to more conspiracies, and they mentioned tinfoil hats, and it was just like, poof, our brains are not protected. Like, <laughs> we need tinfoil. So I turned around in their neighborhood, went back to their house. Uh, my mom was upstairs. She's like, Tim, my dad's name. And I was like, no, I'm back. And she's like, all right, cool. And I like went to the drawer, pulled out the tinfoil. Zero question. She's like, all right, do you need help? Do you need rubber bands? Like, how are we going to make these tinfoil hats? She just kind of accepted this is how I am now. Yeah, we all have Ryan. So, yeah, we got tinfoil hats. We're protected. I'm just hoping we don't get electrocuted during this episode <laughs> because it is scary having whatever happens in headphones the electrical currents mm-hmm. maybe they i mean maybe they, we could become superhuman right you never we know. get zapped we become mutants i get wolverine claws somehow mm-hmm. yeah it'll be awesome well i want the spider-man powers okay that would be cool too yeah, yeah just without the spiders well, i appreciate the dedication to the show i know last week we talked about that you know kroger had the the cheapest but the also the the best quality aluminum foil so did you go did you go with kroger i don't know if they're foil? no i don't know if they have kroger brand i'd assume it's either kroger or giant eagle okay yeah okay but so if they start listening to it, it will i mean if it's kroger brand or maybe if it's giant eagle brand maybe some of those like brain waves will get through and they'll hear bits and pieces oh yeah the scattered yeah, some scattered. of our uh intelligent jokes on here <laughs> Oh my yeah. goodness. Well, hello everyone. This is the Otaku Brothers Podcast. My name is Rusty. Ryan's over there. We're both wearing tinfoil hats today because as we mentioned in episode 113, we are going to continue the conspiracy theories. I think it was early early 80s episode-wise that we did All, All Presidents Are Lizard People was the title of that episode. So if you missed Conspiracy Theories Part 1, go check that episode out. It Once again, it was one of my favorite episodes to record because Ryan came to the table with a whole litany of crazy conspiracy theories. I had the opportunity to kind of just sit back and react to the crazy conspiracy theories. And today's so different. Ryan has a whole slew of them that he's going to go through. And these are a little bit different. These are ones that, as far as I know, are a little bit more believable. And so we're going to kind of go through and figure out whether or not we would subscribe to these crazy ideas. Yeah, so I have 15, potentially 14, depending if we get Rusty censors me when I say it. (laughs) One of them. So, uh, yeah, it'll be a good time. Um, But before we get to that, Mm -hmm. I am a month late because of fucking ordering and packaging and everything that's going on. But I got Rusty a gift Mm -hmm. for his birthday a month ago. I ordered it 20 days before your birthday, so it was very long shipping coming from uh, China. Okay, awesome. So, yeah, there's two gifts. They go together, obviously. Uh, Pick up the larger, shittier wrapped one first. This one? Yes, be careful. It is very breakable. Okay, they look like uh, little golden potatoes, so I hope that... 
I got one of those little items. I do bakers. not have wrapping paper, nor do I have any good experience wrapping gifts, but okay. well, just I'm going, be very careful. I'm going right in. Should we get a little ASMR in here? Hold on. I'm sure they love that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're going to, you know, axe that idea. Um, all right, let's just rip this guy open here. This is an audio-only podcast, so some of the, the novelty... I'm sure that there will be a picture on Discord, so join our Discord. <laughs> yeah. All right. We have a little box here. Dude, I'm so a little, excited. Um, a little square box. Did you open this up to check it? Oh, yeah, I did. You did? Okay. It's good. It's not broken. Okay. All right. So, little tiny square box, um, about the size of maybe uh, a it's golf like ball. two inches by two inches. A tennis ball or something like that. So, I'm pulling just, it out. I would... Uh, drop it into your hand, probably. All right, it looks like a little orb, almost like a mini snow globe. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, basically, what it is is a glass Pokemon it's a, ball. It's a crystal, yeah. It's a crystal Pokemon ball, and inside is, how would you even describe this, Ryan? Almost like a hologram like a, picture of Charmander. Yeah, like a laser-etched uh, Charmander. Who is arguably my favorite Pokemon? Yeah, ever. and it's on the Otaku, like his design on your shirt. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so the Otaku Brothers logo is Charmander in a VV costume. Yep, from Final Fantasy IX. Dude, that is fantastic. Right, and then the second part goes with it. Okay, we'll put that right there. Fits really nice in the desk. This will actually be a, a perfect desk piece. Um, yes, because once I hung those monitors up, now I freed up my entire my entire desk for whatever I want to put there, which is great. All right, so there's this second little thing. It feels like maybe a box of sorts. This one I haven't opened or tested, but... Okay, that's fine. Um, uh, this is a stand, a, a light-up stand, along with a remote to change the color of that stand to whatever you want. Oh, nice. little LED deal so. here. Perfect, dude. Oh, my gosh, yes. I won't open this up now, but it's like a little twist and seal type of deal. And so I assume that um, he will kind of just fit really nicely Yeah. on this little guy. And this will be a perfect little desk piece, side piece here. Yeah. Excellent, dude. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. That's a great, you know, it's one of those things that right now in my life, like gift wise, certainly with my parents, I just tell them like DoorDash, Chipotle gift cards, yeah. just stuff like that. Um, but I consider myself and Lauren would attest to this too, a, a really difficult person to buy for, uh, especially when it comes to games, because yeah. No one really because knows whether mom or not I... was asking me like, "What should I get Rusty? Should are there games that he wants?" And I was like, "He probably has them in his eBay cart already." Like, <laughs> so it's just risky. It's like, should I get him like a shirt or something? I was like, "No, just Chipotle or something easy, something consumable." Yeah, opposed to a uh, trinket. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's tough to find something. But uh, thankfully, I record a podcast. With this guy, he's uh, he knows me pretty well. Yeah, and just a uh, bit. he knows that Charmander's my dude, and I appreciate that, dude. Yeah, of course. Great little gift. Thank you so much. But we've got to keep going, Ryan, right? Yes. we got to talk about our weeks. We've got a very packed agenda with the conspiracy stuff because I have to talk, too, about my concluding thoughts about Resident Evil Village. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, we'll get to it all, though. So how, how was your week, though? It was good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had to go into the office once, which is a joy, uh, driving. Um, but, yeah, not too eventful. Nothing crazy. We lost another person at our work. So uh, we're dropping like flies, which is great. Um, but yeah, nothing else like, really. They just dropped dead, or like what? What went yeah, on? Yeah, they just. I think the government nabbed them. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, they they probably had a pre like because 
she addressed our group on our Tuesday meeting saying like, this is our last one. And I think either she was at gunpoint or it was pre-recorded or something, but she, I think she got nabbed. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's sad times. Hard times out there. Yeah. So, uh, dig your bunkers guys (laughs) (laughs) and protect yourselves. (laughs) The Uh, end of the world is coming. Stock up on your Nuka Cola. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I didn't realize that, um, so, like, on Fallout 3, you have that little pit boy mm-hmm. who's doing the little thumbs up thing. And I always thought it was, like, a action, like, yeah, you're just giving the thumbs up is a cool thing. But that thumbs up is actually a gauge to, like, gauge your distance from that mushroom cloud. Oh, really? Yeah. The cool. more you know. Interesting. I need to play a Fallout game at some point. I hate Fallout. <laughs> They're just so gray and boring. But It's kind of true, yeah. Yeah. I, I tried... New Vegas, which is supposed to be the best one. And then I tried three and four, and I think I ended up just giving you my four. I played four for about ten hours, and I just, no. I don't know. It's just not fun. It just doesn't click for me the same way Elder Scrolls does. Yeah. Which is fine. So. Teach their own. But Yeah. But how was your week? It's pretty good. Um, you know, it was my first week back to work, so it's always difficult to kind of uh, get your bearings. And we're doing some... Uh, we're piloting like a new concept with the way we're performing our audits. So it's just mm. kind of full speed ahead. Okay. So it was a little tough, you know, taking a week off and and then going from zero to 100 so fast. Yeah, uh, that wasn't the best thing. But I also just uh, had some time to reflect this week, got a little inspired. Uh, I think every single night this week, and I'm not even exaggerating, I was dreaming about playing the game of Survivor. Really? I, went, I think I watched two yeah, I completed two seasons of Survivor this week, uh, which sounds crazy. And I stayed up to absurd hours in the morning, uh, just binging Survivor, uh, just getting inspired. And I don't know, not that I want to get on a soapbox and have like a crazy talk about how Rusty had this quarter life crisis and, and how he yeah, was. He now has a motorcycle <laughs> next to a Civic. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was just, it's obnoxious. It's just a Harley and it just makes a shit ton of noise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I dyed my hair blonde and I'm just changing everything about myself. So. You gotta do what you gotta do. I mean, whatever gets you through. Yeah. I mean, when he turns 50, you'll get a Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. I just, I'm, part of me is just kind of t- tired of living a life of complacency. Um, part of me also just feels like my my talents and the things that like I know that I'm good at are kind of just being wasted and the role that I'm in yeah and so kind of just thinking you know looking to my future and figuring out like what I want to do and I kind of want to just live a little bit bolder if that makes sense and so before the end of this year I would like to find myself in a new role a new workplace opportunity if you will uh Hopefully none of my colleagues are listening to this, but uh, I mean, I've been, I've been there for three years and, you know, it's, I think it's time for me to start looking for, for the next big thing for me. Yeah. And I'm not really sure what that is, but that's, that's goal number one. And the goal number two is submitting my application to play the game Survivor. Yeah. So I'm going to be working on my, uh, the biggest piece to the application is just the video. You have to record like a three to five minute video of yourself of, of why you're capable and, and wanting to play the game. Do you have a strategy? Because some of those are pretty wacky. I do. Yeah. So I have an entire montage of like segments. I'm, I'm I kind of have this whole week because I've literally just been dreaming about playing, like mm-hmm. literally having dreams about it. Um, late at night before I go to bed, I've been bullet pointing out and kind of structuring how the whole video would go. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about it now. I don't want to give my my secrets away, okay. but I do have a plan. And I'm pretty confident that, you know, even if I don't get picked the first time, I, I hope that 
you know, the the casting director at least, you know, maybe raises an eyebrow and is like, oh, that, you know, that rusty kid, maybe he's unique. <laughs> we need to uh, keep an eye out for him maybe in the future, because I think how the, the casting works is, you know, they want to have 16 pretty varied contestants. If they have 16 nerds or 16 drill sergeants, it's not going to work. Yeah. Right. You want to you want some type A, some type B people. You want some older folks. You want some younger folks, because the whole purpose of the game is is to be this social experiment. Mm hmm. And in order for that to work or be entertaining for television, you need 16 different personalities that you know are inevitably going to clash. So what do you describe your personality as? I think I'm someone that's very personable, relatable, um, easy to get along with, that just kind of has a, an infectious personality. Okay. Like I think I'm the guy that, you know, is just going to get along kind of with everyone. And it, it's going to be tough for me to separate my heart from my mind when playing the game. Yeah. And knowing that I'm not here to make friendships, I'm here to play Survivor. Uh, I mean, I want to do both, but at a certain point in the game, if you make it post-merge, it's kind of game on at that point. Like, if, you, yeah. if you're there to make friends at that point, then you're going to get voted out pretty quick. So, That's fair. Um, yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot. I've been kind of detailing uh, and basing my strategy on certain players of the game. I know we do have some friends of the show that are going through the seasons chronologically, so fear not. Uh, Zach and Alec, I'm not going to be spoiling anything. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's certain people that I want to kind of base my game on, but not a, a one particular person. You want to kind of take strategies from a number of different folks because, you know, I know you've only watched up to Pearl Islands at this point, but the game has evolved so much yeah. over its 40 seasons and kind of this next step in evolution of the game is just kind of ridiculous and crazy. So you always have to be on your toes, but I'm looking forward to it. You know, I really have kind of had three goals in life. And as crazy as it might sound, you know, one of them was finding my person and I met you and now we're doing with Doggy Brothers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to become a father. And two years ago, I walked into a dog shelter and I met Scoob. So dude, you're just checking off. I'm boxes just checking off the boxes. Right. And the third is uh, playing the game of Survivor. So, OK, I'm, yeah, one I'm to go. And then you three, can man. just kick the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. After that, man, I can hang it up. You yep. know, I'm good. Uh, but yeah, no, all of that to say it's been a good week. Uh, I'm just glad that I have some renewed focus. I'm excited for the things ahead. And the also the thing I checked off my uh, to-do list is I reached back out to Grant Kirkhope and said, yo, uh, I know we're kind of still in the midst of a pandemic, but could I still send my my record sleeves to you for Perfect Dark, Ukulele, and Banjo-Kazooie? And he said, absolutely. Here's the here's my P.O. box. Send it my way, and I will sign those things back. Awesome. Sign them and send it back to you. I mean, like 100 or 60... Plus episodes later, but we, uh, you finally got there. It was about a hundred actually. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, because I think it was like episode 30 or something. I was It was like, pretty early. I was thinking it was 50, but I think you said by like episode 50, you wanted to have it. Yeah. Signed. Well, I was like, man, how cool would it be if we got Grant Kirkhope to be on the show for episode 50? Yeah, that's yeah. So maybe 200, episode 200, yeah. we'll have him on. We'll interview him about Banjo 3, but, uh, it'll be a great time. So yeah, all in all great week. Looking forward to, uh, applying for Survivor. Awesome. But before I can apply for the Game of Survivor, Ryan, we need to hear how your RuneScape journey's been going. Dude, just so much journey. (laughs) 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 Wow. Let's explore that a little bit. Just all the journey, dude. Just journeying for days. (laughs) Uh, No, uh, it's going. I mean... I didn't really play a ton of games this week. I mean, I I put in the time while well, I worked just off to the side, but mostly I was listening to uh, two YouTube channels that I found. Okay. Um. So 
I'm really into murder, mm. <laughs> you know, just all about it. And it, it's I found two YouTube channels. One, the first one is Coffee House Crime. Okay. And it's basically a dude. I think he puts out one a week. Um, it, he reviews like an entire like murder investigation. Um, and they're pretty in depth. They're like 25 minutes, but he goes through them chronologically without spoiling it. Mm. So he doesn't say, hey, just this is how it ends. Let's go through the thing. He kind of communicates it as a mystery, which I really like. Okay. And then the second one, which doesn't sound like a channel that would talk about murder mysteries, is Mr. Ballin. Um, I think he he started as a TikTok person going through crimes. Um, he used to be a Navy SEAL, got into TikTok, going through crimes, and then now he kind of transitioned into YouTube. So when I think he does like four or five times a week now. Okay. Uh, originally, like his older stuff, he his goal was one time a week, but now it's like four or five. I think for his more like more recent videos, and he does the same type of content as uh, Coffee House Crimes, but two great channels to listen to. Nice. So, so any any highlight crime scene murder mysteries that you listen well, there's, to? There's a few like granny murders. And, like, the one I was listening to this morning was this girl, or this, like, girl, uh, this 80-year-old woman mm-hmm. who, she was getting some renovations done on her house, and she didn't want to be, she obviously couldn't be there, so one of her neighbors said, hey, come live with me. And then after the renovations were done, she just didn't move out. And they got into fights, like, hey, I don't want to leave and then she tried to like kill the person who owned the house, who like let her live there, w- by crushing up sleeping pills and putting it in her salad. Yikes! And then she came down and was like, "Oh, she's uh, still breathing." So she ended up like cutting her up, eating her lungs, and like garbage bagging her to the uh, lake and in the woods. The old lady did this. Yeah, the grandma, and uh, she like ate the head and stuff. What the fuck? And where was this? Uh, probably around us. <laughs> no, I don't know where it was. I forget. Yikes. But it turns out she didn't to like 14 different people because she thought like, one, she thought the lungs were the most tasty part of the human. Oh my god! But gosh. she used the body parts to become a witch and like do spells. And uh, she, yeah, she, when the police showed up and they, they found like bloody ch- saws and stuff, they're like, she's like, yeah, I did it. Cool. And she just, I assume. Went so to she's prison. in jail now she, until she dies. But jeez, yeah, interesting stuff. So she's been doing this like what over the course of her over like twenty five years, I think. Wow, and how does she never get caught? She, apparently, she, once you eat someone, they don't talk. <laughs> but yeah, but they go missing. You'd think they're yeah. I don't know. Would... I mean, she did it to I think just women mainly. Wow. But, yeah, there's there's really interesting stories. Uh, Mister Ballin, being a seal, he goes through the story of like a Navy seal who kind of went to help in Afghanistan or in in Syria with like some Iraqi forces um, and he has there's a book out about this Navy SEAL who helped do like a rescue mission so he got permission from that SEAL to kind of walk through it on his channel there it's he Mr. Bolin has a wider range of things he goes over but mainly like murder mysteries Very solved and unsolved so Mr. Bolin yes and what was the other one uh, coffee house crimes. Coffee no house space crimes. between coffee house. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I'm definitely gonna have to check those out. Those they're really interesting. Great background. Um, it just, I mean, as fun. 
I don't know, podcasts about murder mysteries are very interesting. Yeah, they are. There's a few in Ohio around us, um, not in the same towns that we live in, but yeah, people are crazy, man. <laughs> that, they are. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, so I, I played a bit of RuneScape, nothing really. I'm just training up combats so Ben and I can do some raids. And then a bit of Monster Hunter. My goal last week was to finish up my piercing build and whatever my other build was. So I ended up, after we recorded the podcast, finishing out my piercing build. And then uh, I finished the second build for the light bow gun as well. Nice. So right now I'm looking at building a bow, just a bow, not a light bow gun or anything. Um, Not sure how that works. I think it's an explosive build. But yeah, doing that. And then, based off of your or your recommendation from last week, I played Round Guard. Oh, nice, the Peggle clone. Yes, and uh, I I think I gave you shit about it last week. Of like, dude, you only beat it with like a wizard and like the warrior, the warrior. And I was like, how hard can this really be? It's just Peggles, right? It's fucking hard. <laughs> like I, I beat the first boss out of I think three. Yeah, there's three acts, and I got one battle away from the second boss on the warrior which is like the easiest Mm -hmm. uh yeah it's difficult there's so much rng and like you have to be spot on with your peggle throws and then all of a sudden you're just taking damage out the ass because a skull mana attacks you yeah it's intense so newfound respect for me then I do. Now I respect you as a man. Because <laughs> <laughs> I beat Round yeah, Guard twice. because you beat Round Guard twice. Yeah, and I honestly, the the, the wizard is meant to be the, the most challenging of the three characters in three runs. I, I think the warrior run took me about two and a half hours. The, the wizard one took me about three, not in one sitting. Like, you can pause it. You can save your run and quit out and come back to it later if you want. And then I got about halfway through the rogue one. And I currently have it saved down about, I think I made it to act two, but then it's really tough. Like the rogue one, there's a couple of moments where I almost died and I was just like, nope. But eventually I'll complete all three runs. But it's not one of those things that, I mean, because runs take, you know, an hour plus. Yeah. It's not one of those things that you want to sit down and play a complete run, but it is fun to pick up and play for like little 30 minutes. So what was your main strategy? Um, like for, cause you have two different actions that you can do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have one that heals you and one that like punches through blocks or I was trying, cause I always had one that like when you, it was like you activated and every gold pouch you got gave you health back mm. because you take so much fucking damage. Yeah. And then the other one was like punching through things or like you kind of spin through and hit people. Yeah, I think my biggest strategy was honestly just spamming the special attacks. Okay. And and then whenever you see like the little health peggles, you just have to make sure that you prioritize those. But but don't go after them, obviously, when you're at full health because then you waste it. So yeah. really what I've prioritized at the beginning of every single level is just get after the enemies as fast and as quickly as you possibly can. And once you knock out as many of those as you can, if you're low on health, then you know, use the health peggles. If not, then just keep going on. Is there a time that you, so on the map, you have, say, like, 10 battles per, like, boss segment, right? Did you always go for the rooms that had, like, a sword on it or a vest or, like... Yeah, certainly if if, if there were any kind of armor upgrades, I would prioritize going to those rooms next. Okay. Uh, in terms of, like, because sometimes you'll see a spider, sometimes you'll see skulls. 
which indicates the the enemies that you're going to have to fight in that level. Yeah. Those I never really there was no strategy to that for me. It was more what's going to get me to the final boss of act whatever fastest. Okay. Because you can That's avoid fair. certain levels if you if, if yeah, if you plan You can minimize the number of battles between bosses. Exactly. Um yeah, it's kind of I wouldn't say it's like a Plachinko thing, but e- there's different routes, and at the end of each battle, you can pick which, like almost like a Mario pipe you want to go down. Exactly. It's kind of like Snakes and Ladders, kind mm-hmm. of. And you can see or pull up the map at any time and show, if I take the right pipe, I could potentially go Spider, Spider, Skeleton. Yep. As the enemies, the main focus or genre of enemy, I guess, per a battle. Yeah. Um but say you take the left right pipes you could run into a thing where or a battle at the end you get a specific armor piece or weapon mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be pretty uh, strategic about the pipes that you take and i think were there mini bosses i don't think there are mini bosses it was like those little skull guys i was thinking originally there are mini bosses but yeah there's one enemy in there that's like the slime where it stops your momentum and you just kind of fall as yeah. you do it and yeah. they move so freaking slow. So you like you're sitting there for like three minutes as it crosses the screen, hits the one side, moves back so you can like go after a specific piece. Yeah. It kills me. It takes a lot of, you know, patience and practice. Yeah, I think I went through three or four attempts. Um, the furthest obviously being the one I'd mentioned previously, which was close to the second boss but yeah i've you're a better man than i (laughs) when it comes to round guard (laughs) yeah it's a fun game um definitely glad i picked it up for seven bucks and i'll eventually go back and and finish it with the rogue nice um, what was the gimmick for the rogue so like the the warrior doesn't really have a gimmick yeah so it's kind of one of the stealth abilities is if you shoot your peggle down you can then have a three second pause to then reshoot your peggle in midair. Oh. So that's kind of like the stealth approach where the enemy doesn't see you coming, but you pause time and then shoot the peggle back to hit the enemy and maybe blindside him a little bit. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, it's a yeah. pretty cool mechanic. And then the wizard mechanic was like you had two, I don't know, worms or something on each right and left side of the screen that have between you have like an invisible line mm-hmm. that at a certain point in time you can shoot electricity or something electricity yeah and hit everything within those beams and i just spam the hell out of that when i played as the mage yeah because you have a decent amount of mana Mm -hmm. but yeah it's it's a unique game uh definitely way more intense unless there's some good dialogue they had mentioned something i don't know if it was like raiders of the lost ark or something but they had mentioned like yeah song plays here but we can't or just or for copyright reasons, it won't play or <laughs> something like that. So, like, the di- dialogue is pretty witty. Mm-hmm. Very um, self-aware. Yeah. It's not as, like, over-the-top as Peggles with, like, unicorns and, like, intense, like, trumpets after you go down a pipe. It's It takes itself a little bit more seriously, but still not very seriously because it's a Peggle. Yeah. A Peggle-like yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't know that was a genre, but I guess it, it is. is now. It is now. Yeah. Hopefully there's a Round Guard 2 or Peggle freaking 3. That would be amazing. That's what we really need. The newest game on Xbox. <laughs> Dude, I'd buy, a, I'd buy a Series X yeah. for Peggle 3. Was yeah. it an exclusive? 
Or I think it was on Xbox Live Arcade back in the day. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, now it's it's come to PlayStation 4. Peggle kind of hoard itself out and let down its standards. <laughs> <laughs> Got over on the PlayStation. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. All right, so a little RuneScape, a little Round Guard, a little yeah. murder mystery. Yeah, so, I mean, this weekend, nothing crazy. Um, I'll probably do a few quests on RuneScape and uh, just relax. I've been going on a lot longer walks. I, I think I mentioned maybe last week or the week before I finished Aragon, making a good amount of progress. I'm maybe six or seven hours into Eldest, I think it is. These are the audiobooks? Yeah, the Red Book. And uh, I think it's 22 hours long. Dang. But I bought the, I got my coin for this month and I bought the Green Book, which is the third in the series. Um, and then once I buy the fourth book at, I think, the 20th of this month, the next book I'm going to purchase to add to my library is the Samarillion. Oh, hell yeah. So uh, once I get through those three books, we can eventually have a find a Lord of the Rings expert and uh, I'll contribute whatever I can just, about the Samarillion. Just do a Lord of the Rings <laughs> Yeah, when it comes to names, I'll know fuck all because I'll just say that elf dude who was powerful from that place. Dude, that'd be fun. We've been wanting to do that pretty yeah. much since the inception of this podcast. And I think we did an episode... Kind of like just gushing about Lord of the Rings, but we haven't done a full blowout episode. Just yeah, because I know we talked about Lord of the Rings on our episode where we said like our top movies. Yeah, because we both Fellowship is our favorite. I think it was episode five, there and back again, or something like that. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we'll eventually do that. Yeah, It'll be good times. Yeah, good stuff, man. Well, I uh, I still think that you should take ukulele off the shelf and take it home with you. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, play some of that. Think be good times. But uh, for me this week, like I said in the beginning of the episode, I did end up finishing Resident Evil Village. I think it was, we recorded on Saturday. You okay there? Sorry, yeah, there's, I mean, having a tinfoil hat on is not as easy. I don't know, the people who have them on consistently to protect themselves, I, I give you more credit than is due. The people that continue to live in bunkers and <laughs> yeah, I mean, haven't seen the sun in like three years? Yeah, no, it's, they, it's like wearing a, a bag over your head. And yeah. you just you're just sweating consistently, and we have two men in this room with a dog, and we're just heating up. It's like a sauna, so yeah, it's, it's getting it's a little good. little toasty in here. <laughs> By the end, we'll be like, "All right, conspiracy fourteen is we're just dripping." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sorry, I'm I'm done. Little AS, now. ASMR over there. Um, yeah, so Resident Evil Village. I think on Saturday I was about uh, five to six hours in. And I think one of the, the best parts about this game, the best pieces of it, you know, with all the marketing that Capcom did, which I think they did a shit ton of marketing for this game, all of the different, um, like, demos that they released over the course, le- over the past several months leading up to launch, the initial teasers, it's amazing, it's really remarkable how much they kept under wraps about what this game is actually about. Yeah. Like, you saw the opening cinematic when, you know, Ethan is like, Chris, what the hell, you know, and Chris looks, Chris Redfield, of course, looks super rugged and, and then Ethan is obviously going through this village and he eventually makes his way to a castle and then there's the tall lady, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, this tall lady just seems like she's the big baddie, but there's, without spoiling anything, there's just so much more to Resident Evil Village than I think what Capcom let on and I applaud them for that because with a game like this that is more narrative focused than prior Resident Evil games, it's pretty cool that they were able to keep a lot of the story beats under wraps. 
Yeah, from what you've told me of the story and what I watched you play a little bit yesterday, it looks like a good time. Mm-hmm. Terrifying. And you were an asshole, like cinematically going through these rooms knowing when jump scares would happen. <laughs> I, I was trying to like pet your dog and like talk to you about other stuff to like keep my mind off of yeah. it. But you didn't, you paused it like a jerk. Yeah, I was like, dude, come on, focus. <laughs> yeah. Watch the TV. Um, no, it, it's a pretty game too. Um, it definitely looks better than I think seven. Yeah. Graphically. So that's good. Yeah, and so once again, if you don't want to hear anything about Resident Evil Village, I'm probably not going to do any timestamps or anything like that to separate because I'm really not going to go into any spoilers, just continuing to talk about gameplay and and where it ranks on among my list of completed Resident Evil games. But if you don't want to listen to this, fast forward a couple minutes. Uh, you've been warned. But I do stand by what I said last week. I do think this is probably a top three Resident Evil game for me. Okay. If I had to rank them, I think four is probably still at the top. I don't think... There are few experiences that will ever rival when I first played Resident Evil 4 on the Wii with my buddy Nick in high school. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those games where he would come over at 6 o'clock in the morning before we'd go to school, and we'd play, like, another hour of it before we had to to walk to, to high school, you know? Uh, and then it was one of those things that we rushed home after high school to continue playing, and it, it scared the holy hell out of me back then, and just because I'd never really played many horror games to that point. Yeah. So 4 definitely still takes the cake. It's still one of my favorite games of all time. And while I'm not going to probably play the VR version, I'm not I'm not really anticipating that at all. I do hope that uh, Resident Evil 4 Remake is in the works and that in the next few years we get something like that. So that's probably still at the top for me. And then Resident Evil 7 Biohazard right after that. Honestly, any given day, I think the more I think about it, 7 could rival that number one spot. But both mm-hmm. of them are just incredible games. And then 8 Village kind of falls uh, in the footsteps of, of 7. So those are my top three. I think 8... It does so many things. It really does feel like the greatest hits of Resident Evil games, even though I've only played a handful of them. Just reading tweets and reviews and just hearing people talk about the game that have been tremendous fans since the first game uh, back on PlayStation 1, it really sounds like this is kind of the greatest hits of Resident Evil games. There's something there for everyone that has played these games and has been following this series for you know the better part of two and a half decades at this point. It certainly dials back the horror elements quite a bit in favor of the more action-heavy sequences of Resident Evil 4, but I still think there is plenty of really, really creepy moments. One of them, in particular, kind of late in the game, is rivals anything in Resident Evil 7. Like, it scared the shit out of me. Um, and there was a, a... What I love about Resident Evil, and it's really only happened with 7 and 8, is it legitimately causes me to scream out loud. Yeah. Like all out yeah. like the top of my lungs, just letting out a roar in fear of something that I see on screen or a jump scare or whatever. And there was a legitimate moment in Village, probably only one that got me to do that. And if you finish Village, you'll you'll probably be able to know what it is. But uh, the, the gunplay is super tight, great variety of weapons, really feels like Resident Evil 4 in terms of the way it plays. I think it has the best merchant in all of Resident Evil games, like he even rivals the the merchant in Resident Evil 4. His name is The Duke. He's just uh, a very charismatic, goofy character. And, uh, you know, when you're running away from the big woman in the castle and you retreat to the safe haven room where there's the typewriter there and you can save, 
the they cue the music when you go into those rooms and the duke is right there to kind of almost kind of comfort you and bring you down from the the terror and the tension of of being chased by the big woman or her three daughters uh there's just so many great moments in the game and and all in all i think the story wrapped up in a really satisfying way um you know i won't go into the details i probably won't talk spoilers until you know end of the year game of the year discussions just because i know the game is still really fresh i know a lot of people won't play it until october so it'll be a full-on spoiler discussion here you know come december when we when we have our game of the year episode but i do think it wrapped up the story uh, in a satisfying way but without getting to spoilers i also don't think that this uh this story is over yet and i think there's definitely going to be a trilogy uh with this cast of characters yeah that'd be cool to see it's kind of all i'll say and is uh, this the first time they do like an arc that is a trilogy i know you see like chris or whatever the other dude's name is in a few yeah um, but have they done it before where it is a trilogy i don't know how the greater canon of resident evil really works because you know you have ada wong you have leon kennedy you have chris redfield you have wesker you have all these different characters that are part of the resident evil universe Mm mm-hmm and I know there's definitely uh, a chronology to the, yeah. is that the word to the games uh, in terms of timeline and when they take place, but how they're tied together, and uh, I don't really know. Okay. But I think this is the first time that there's been kind of a beat-for-beat, game-to-game continuation of a story. Is the uh, order that they came out the chronological order? Or is, are, is there, like, prequels? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I think the first one, definitely, because, it, you you know, you you stumble upon that mansion. You're playing, I think, as Jill Valentine and Chris Redfield. And that's, like, a really, really young Jill Valentine and Chris Redfield. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, in, in Resident Evil Village, I mean, it's, it's an older Chris yeah. Redfield. Like, he's been through some shit, you know. He's got, yeah, like, true. a rough beard and... He just looks weathered, you know. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of time that's passed, and I, it's 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 evident that that takes place after the events of something like Resident Evil One. So. Okay. Interesting. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the future of Resident Evil. I don't think we'll probably get uh, Resident Evil Nine for a few years, but I would not be surprised if a subset of Capcom's team is already working on that game, just because of how how Resident Evil Village wrapped up. I think they could very easily in two years continue the story in Resident Evil Nine. Yeah. So I'm excited for that. And uh, I'm excited for them to hopefully reboot it as well with Resident Evil 10. It'll be really interesting to see, you know, if they go back to the third person, if they do something new entirely. I don't know, but I'm excited for the future of Resident Evil. Which one do you like better, the first or third person? Um, It's tough to say because, you know, the more action-heavy sequences of Resident Evil 4, I prefer 4 over 7 in Village, just in terms of... That's more of like tied to nostalgia and memories playing mm-hmm. it on the Wii. Um, it just kind of depends. I like both. Okay. But I think after playing, if it's to be believed that Resident Evil 9 will continue the story of Village, then I think after 9, I'll definitely be ready to go back to third person and Resident right. Evil 10. So. Okay. Is there any hints that they'd remake number four? I thought I heard that it was already in development. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're gonna if probably they do that, we'll play it together. Absolutely. But I won't be having the controller. I'll just be peeing myself on the side. <laughs> okay, well, someday. Well, I think what we're going to do come October is play Resident Evil 6 co-op. Okay. Because that game is boring as shit. Like, it's it's a basically a run-and-gun zombie shooter. It feels like a... What, what kills me is, like, you know, early Resident Evil, it was, it was kind of like a George Romero 
zombie flick, mm-hmm. right? It was very tense. The moments were would instill so much fear in you and then over the course of the series it became more of a Michael Bay film where it was just shits exploding everyone's freaking out and screaming and yeah it's just not the same so okay. uh, but Resident Evil 6 is is a Michael Bay flick so no game for some bay n- nothing to be scared about about with that game all right so cool but other than Resident Evil Village I really didn't play a whole lot else just because Coming down from the craziness of that game, I didn't want to sink my teeth into anything too big that would take a, a long time to play. Yeah, no, so, that's fair. Played a lot of Madden this week and uh, watched a lot of Survivor, really. And I did I did start two other games. I'm not going to go into them this week because my impressions are very brief. I've only played about an hour of each. Uh, the first of which is Marvel's Avengers. Yeah. I know it was not received so well last year, but Crystal Dynamics and Square Enix have rolled out a number of updates, including a uh, an update for next generation consoles, which you know runs at a smooth 60 frames per second, looks really nice, and uh, yeah. So I mean, overall presentation is spectacular. I mean, it is clearly evident that they pumped a shit ton of money into this game. So how does it start out as far as the story goes? Uh, there's kind of like this big old celebration of the Avengers Day. Okay. And yeah. you're kind of walking through this carnival fair where you collect these little comic books. If you you know do all these like kind of little fun carnival games, then you unlock a special comic book. And okay. then there's kind of this big old stage performance with the Avengers. And then, you know, the San Francisco uh, bridge explodes and all the Avengers are like, it's time to assemble and... Okay. Yeah. I heard the interaction with Thor was actually pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think all of the characters so far, um, I haven't spent any significant amount of time with any of them. Yeah. Um, right now, I'm kind of on a solo adventure with Bruce Banner, or the Hulk. Oh, cool. And he's voiced by none other than Troy Baker. Okay, not surprised there. Um, he's everywhere. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you can't get away from him. You can't, not in video games at least. Uh, but yeah, I mean, overall, I'm, I'm having a good time with it. I think combat feels really responsive, especially with the DualSense controller. There's some nice haptic feedback, some nice resistance in the, the trigger buttons and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to playing more. I mean, it's the perfect game to kind of come off a, a horror adventure like Resident Evil yeah. Village and kind of just tune out, zone out not pay too much attention to the story because I honestly don't really care too much. Uh, but especially kind of having that, uh, Avengers Marvel fatigue, Yeah, you know, post Endgame. you know, it's been about what, two years since Endgame has come out at this point. So it's nice to kind of get something Marvel related that kind of scratches the itch and kind of starts to kind of ignite the fire again. Nice. So I'm looking forward to playing more of that. And uh, yeah, more impressions next week. I really don't have a whole lot to say. I'm just, I'm, I'm enjoying the combat. It feels really good. And it's very evident that they pumped a ton of money into this game. And it's a shame that they didn't make much of it back. Does it get you excited for the next round of films coming out from Marvel this year? Because I think there's a lineup of like four or five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think there's that uh, Kung Fu guy. That one looks amazing. And then there's the Internals. Right? The Eternals or something like that. And then Black Widow, too. Yeah. Those should be good. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I just... When you watch 10 years of 22 movies, yeah, it's a lot. Definitely some fatigue. Yeah. I mean, same thing with Star Wars. So you just kind of need a break. And I think something like uh, Marvel's The Avengers on PS5 is a nice little appetizer to get me ready for the main course later this fall. Nice. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't know if you saw uh, Disney lost $600 million, I think, last month. Or is it last quarter? They were they lost like six hundred million, mostly because of uh, Disney Plus missing their targets. 
No, oh, really? Like I don't feel bad for them. They made like thirteen billion dollars, but yeah, Bob Iger's doing okay. Yeah, they're they're fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I'm not too worried but, about those guys. Yeah. Uh, but I think yeah. they missed their target for Disney Plus by like six million. They were like targeting hundred and nine million people on the platform, but it was closer to like one hundred three. I mean, that's all of those subscription services. Like Netflix wasn't profitable for like a decade. Uh, yeah. Game Pass, Hulu, like all of those. Subs- I mean, you, it's a significant investment up front that you hope within you know five to ten years is eventually profitable. Yeah, the weird thing is they made less money on Disney Plus when it raised a dollar. From like six ninety nine to seven ninety nine. Mm. Did it ever cancel? Because I know you tried to cancel your Disney Plus, but did it ever? Or I, why is it still? I up? got a cancellation email, so how we still have access, I don't know. Okay, we'll just sweep that under the rug and continue <laughs> watching shit. Because <laughs> I think Loki's coming out. Yeah. Right. Did I just talk to you offline about the uh, the clone episodes, or was that last week? I can't remember. I don't know. This tinfoil hat's doing things. To my I know. Brain. I, I'm forgetting everything. I, yeah. Maybe it is the tinfoil. <laughs> it's the government scrambling our brains. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Uh, clone. The new clone episodes are cool. Okay, they have cool. some good. T- I think I, we talked over uh, Mother's Day stuff. Mm, yeah. The Bad Batch. Yeah. So the Bad Batch is pretty entertaining. I haven't watched the newest episode, but the first two episodes are cool. They tie into like it's right after Order sixty six, and they tie into. Um, was it uh, was his Canaan uh, Bridger's tutor? Oh yeah. So it, the kid in the first episode is him oh, as a yes. kid, as like his journey after Order sixty six. Shout out for anyone that has not watched Star Wars Rebels. My gosh, it's Rebels, right? Yep. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. Probably a good watch. So it sounds good. like they're doing more with. Uh, they'll probably show Bridger in the Ahsoka series. Oh my gosh, dude! I'm so excited for the future of Star Wars. Yeah. We've got the Obi-Wan series coming. Yeah. Hayden uh, Christensen's back, baby. Sounds like Gina's coming What's back, up? which will be good. Her toys are back online. Oh, is she? Yeah. And I think her uh, Bear Grylls episode is airing. It uh, doesn't excite me at all, but I'm I, I'm excited for Hayden Christensen. Yeah. So, nice. Um, yeah. So, Marvel's Avengers is good times. Um, I'm looking forward to playing more of that. The last thing I played was Raven's Sword Shadowlands. Sounds thrilling. It is a jank wannabe Elder Scrolls, and it succeeds. It is... Uh, What's the jankiest thing you saw in your time playing? Well, it's kind of when you're walking through the wood, the woods, all of the environments are like rendering in real time. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so like lots of pop in. Oh, no, dude, shit. it's amazing. Like there's, there is no draw distance. It's not like, <laughs> okay. it's not the sun that's rising. It's literally the environment is existing in real time. You know, it's, nice. it's amazing, dude. Um, but yeah, it feels really good. Like combat actually works. Uh, there's actual hit detection. Every time you kill two goblins, you get a gold trophy. I mean, it's the perfect rusty game. So yeah, I was going to say that's, that is perfect. I'm having the time of my life really. So, uh, yeah, later this week I'll be playing more Madden, more Avengers, uh, more jank elder scrolls until, uh, the big old ratchet and clink comes in a couple weeks. When is that coming out? I think June 11th or something like that. Okay. Yeah, nice. I'm not yeah sure. that'll be my next big game. Okay, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can fit ukulele in there. Yeah, I mean, that's not a huge blockbuster. It's Whereas game of the Ratchet year. Ratchet is. It's game of the year potential, all right? Okay, on Rusty's list. But, I, uh, I mean, I've, I've started, but yeah. 
Yeah, so I'm looking forward to playing more of those games and watching more Survivor, man. I'm just so excited. I cannot come down from the the excitement and hype levels of submitting an application, even if I never get on the show. You know, it's about so it's, what, it's about trying. What season have you not seen? Have you seen them all? No. Uh, I'm watching a late 20s season right now. Again, I'm trying to be mindful of, of spoiling anything uh, for our listeners. There's probably about five seasons at this point out of 40 that I haven't seen. Do you know which ones those are? I do. Okay, so are you going to, I mean, as research purposes go, are you going to watch those? Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely want to have watched every single Survivor season um, probably by the end of this summer. And then if I do ever get on the show, like I'm going to probably watch and rewatch, you know, probably seasons like 28 through 40 at least one more time each before I would even consider going on the show just for just to study the strategy of people, uh, certain puzzles, certain challenges, because when you I feel like each kind of um, every 10 seasons, they kind of recycle a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when, when I watch seasons 20s, like 20 through 29 and, and 30 through 39 and 40. Uh, the chances of those challenges resurfacing on, you know, a season, let's just say I'm on 45 or 46 or something, you know, th- there's a good chance that I'm going to be solving some of those puzzles. And we all know Rusty's history with puzzles, so. Great. He loves them. Just he more and more in games. Would you ever consider like a survival tactical class or, would, or are you not going that hard? No, because Survivor is so much more and especially for the seasons that you've watched Survivor is so much more than just like you need to learn how to skin a fish and cook it and make a fire. Yeah, because most of the people's strategy in at least what I've watched is I want to be the fish guy because I supply the food. That's basically it. Yeah, you wouldn't believe what survivors become. Okay. You used to learn how to like fly a helicopter. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have a lot of prep. I have a lot of preparation. (laughs) helicopter classes you've taken in college yeah i definitely have a lot of preparation to do but even if i don't do anything like if i was on survivor tomorrow i don't think that you know three months of preparation is really going to do anything more for me okay because you can never anticipate uh what they're going to throw at you that's fair so yeah yeah but that's all i've been playing this week all i've been watching very nice good list Here we are. We are in the main topic of the show. We are doing something, like I said at the top of the show, that I am super pumped about because we've done it once already. It was little to no prep time for me because I'm just here to react to the crazy conspiracy theories that you bring to the table. So how is this whole thing going to work? All right. So 
I have 15, probably 14 conspiracies um, that are somewhat reasonable. And I'm going to read through the conspiracy and then we'll decide if we agree or disagree that it's true. Okay. And your tinfoil's fallen off your head, so it sounds like you're still protected a little bit. A little bit, yeah. But yeah, we can begin. All right, dude. Hit me, hit me with the first one here. All right. So the reason Disney came out with a movie called Frozen was so that when you Google Disney Frozen, you'd get information about uh, the movie itself and not uh, information or websites about Disney's body being frozen after death. And you're speaking about Walt here. Yeah, Walt Disney. Because I think he was like, he wanted to be cryogenically frozen uh, so that he can be resurrected someday during the second coming of Christ. Well, there's rumors that that actually happened, right? That he, he is cryogenically frozen. Probably under Disney somewhere. Well, he's yeah. under the castle. Yeah. yeah. That's like a secret lever you have to pull. Maybe it's... he's Snow White and we just have to go kiss his frozen body and he'll wake up. Well, I, <laughs> you never know, right? I yeah. mean... Uh, I could see it happening. You know, the true Prince Charming has to go down and give him a little, you know. Yeah, probably Chris Hemsworth. Peck on the cheek. Yeah. yeah. So, do you think that's why they made the Disney Frozen? You know, I I don't, okay. but I, I could see where people would believe that. Yeah, I think it's probably not intentional, but it was probably brought up in one of their meetings. We're like, this is probably an added benefit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I don't so, think it was the Unintentional main consequences. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see that. I could see that. All right. The first one is a no-go for both of us. Yeah. All right. The second one. Michael Jordan's first retirement was actually a suspension because of his gambling. Oh. So this is when he went to play baseball, baseball. and then he came back and joined the Wizards. Well, he came back and played for the Bulls and was number 45 and not 23. Oh, he played Bulls before he went to the Wizards? I think Michael Jordan technically retired from basketball like three different times. I think so too, yeah. He he retired to play baseball, which was awful, and then he made Space Jam, and then he came back to the Bulls, played number 45, and I felt like he retired and then came back in the early 2000s and played for the Wizards. Yeah. I could so be So the wrong. first retirement was because of gambling. I could see that, you know, I was so young and, and I'm I'm so thankful that I have memories watching Jordan playing for the Bulls and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman back in the early 90s when I, I was born in 93, so I was just a wee little lad back then. Uh, so I'm glad I have memories of that, but I, I was so young at the time that I didn't even know what gambling was or that he had a potential addiction with it. Yeah, because I know there's lots of stories of him betting thousands or tens of thousands of dollars on golf. Like when he plays golf for like per hole. Really? Yeah. And I could definitely see that being a reality. Mm-hmm. I know that documentary made it sound like there was disagreements with, I think, the coach, right, is why they split up after their all their championships. Mm-hmm. But I could definitely see it being gambling. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's tough for me to, to buy in on this one without any kind of concrete evidence to support it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard, again, rumblings that he had gambling problems, but it's tough for me to say, like, yes, that was absolutely why he retired. So I'm going to say no, but it definitely is an interesting story Okay. to read into. I mean, I, I'm thinking it's probably true, just not <laughs> confirmed. Okay. Yeah, so I'm going to say yes to that one. All right, that's fair. All right, number three. The recommended food pyramid is created by the FDA, but the FDA is funded a lot by certain food industries, poultry, dairy, etc. They are in turn, they in turn make their recommendation based off of the funding by these companies and not based off of a well-balanced diet. 
So I actually looked into this one a little bit, and because it seems weird that industries would fund the FDA. Yeah. But I think it's like 45% of the funding for the FDA is based off like industry. Hmm. Okay. So I guess to summarize all that up in like one quick sentence, can you do that for me? Uh, yeah. So basically special interest groups um, kind of diluted the uh, like the, the food, food pyramid. pyramid. Yeah. They to- made it more based off of what would sell their industry, like poultry. Got it. Most, mostly wheat, I think, was the big portion. So not necessarily. And not necessarily what's good for the population. Got it. Okay. I could definitely see that. I could definitely see special interest. But I also think that in the past, like, 10 years, because when I was a kid and I, you know, in second or third grade, I got, or I, I feel like we brought up the food pyramid when I was, like, in elementary school at some point. Yeah. Because originally it was like a pyramid that was horizontal with wheat being at the bottom. And then you had dairy at the top with sweets being at the very top. Yeah. The peak. And then it went to, I think this is past my time, but a vertical kind of diagonal slices. Mm -hmm. But I think now it is like the plate method where like half is uh, grains or carbs. And then you have a portion like half. Or a quarter for fruit and vegetables, and then the rest is like meat or proteins. Okay. But I could definitely see if 45% of your overall funding comes from industry uh, people. Yeah, no, I'm buying on that. Yeah. I'm definitely buying on that. Yeah. Come on, FDA, do better. I'm not a big fan of the food pyramid, by the way. I don't either, no. It's, I mean, as a general kind of... Gauge for what you should be eating, I guess, but... To, to follow it like it's, you know, like it's scripture or something like that, like this is gospel, that we we can't deviate from this. Yeah. To me. I, I actually like the the plate method a lot better. Yeah. Because it's a visual representation opposed to like, oh, the bottom rung of a pyramid is this amount. It, it's less applicable. Yeah. I just, I'd say. I agree completely. All right. So, yeah, we agree with the uh, FDA is a corrupt organization. Uh Funded by Big Pig (laughs) or Big Pork or whatever the fuck. All right. So the next one, I don't know if you completely understand because you haven't seen this movie, but you should watch it. Okay. Snowpiercer is the sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. So this is with Chris Evans. Yeah. And this is when... Okay, so... So, okay. Snowpiercer, top level, without getting into spoilers. Basically, there's a train that's on the track... Uh, 365 days a year because the world has gone to shit and there's snow everywhere and it's a self-sufficient society within this train Sim- the similar to the Willy Wonka factory which was a self-sufficient chocolate factory where you could like have a society in right and the main dude in this conspiracy I mean Charlie was in the Charlie and Chocolate Factory mm-hmm. um, but they're thinking that the conductor of this train is actually Charlie. And there's W's everywhere for like his last name or something that uh, kind of resemble the Willy Wonka kind of logo. Hmm. Is Gene Wilder in Snowpiercer? I don't think so. I I'm think kidding. he's dead. Yeah, he, I'm sorry. Uh, this Rest was also made, uh, Snowpiercer was actually one made by the same people who uh, made Parasite. It's the same director. Really? Yeah. Okay. What's I don't know his name, but um, yeah, I'm not sure either. But I mean, he won Best Picture. Yeah. Uh, and Best Director, I can't remember. Uh, they won a, a number of Academy Awards for that movie. Snowpiercer is also definitely worth watching. I could definitely see it. I watched a few videos on this years ago. When Do you I see? So the conductor's not Chris Evans. 
No, he is one of the back of the train kind of surf part of the society. Mm-hmm. And every, every so often there's an uprising that is population control trying to get to the front, which is like the oligarchs or the high tier of the society. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. It's an interesting theory. Yeah, similar to like the Michael Jordan stuff, not having the context of the film, it's tough for me to to subscribe to something like this just because I I can't connect the dots between Willy Wonka and this movie. So okay. I'm going to say no, but I definitely going to need to add Snowpiercer to the list of to watch soon. Yeah, we should. I mean, it's been like 50, 60 episodes since we tried to start the the our uh, movie reviews. Yeah, uh, we did uh, Parasite and then we we're going to do the zombie movie. Yeah, Train to Train Busan, to Busan mm-hmm. but I think shit got in the way, so we should add Snowpiercer to the list. Okay, we can do that, yeah. um, and then we can address that conspiracy. <laughs> okay, yeah, we can come back to that. We'll table it for now. I will say I agree with that conspiracy. There, a lot of it lines up. There's some stretches to that, but I like to believe in my head canon mm-hmm. that Snowpiercer is Willy Wonka's sequel. Okay, that's that's fair. All right, number five. The government started the trend 10-year challenge or throwback Thursday on social media to have a more diverse training data set for facial recognition AI um, and better rec- or better also a better map to aging simulations. <laughs> what in the actual F? What? So okay, so the 10-year challenge was basically you post a pic or throwback thursdays you post a picture of yourself 10 years ago i get those yeah i get it yeah it's a simple concept based off the name but so it's they plug in those two data points and they can basically like to to make ai work you have to have a data set Mm -hmm. so this is just throwing more data points but it's an easier data set to pull from when everyone in social media is posting this data freely Okay, so then they can take they a can, picture that's more recently posted of yourself, tie that to the 10-year challenge, yeah. and that's where the aging simulation comes in. Yeah, so then they say, uh, here's a teenager, say 15. Here, based off of what the data that we've gathered, the AI's interpretation of that through thousands or millions of people who have posted this 10-year challenge, we, can th- we think this 15-year-old will look like this at 25. So you're basically training the AI. I feel like the cast of High School Musical would have, you know, started a trend like that, though. I, I, the government did that? I don't I mean, who, like, who started it? Uh, probably the CIA. So some random person, you know, under the radar. It's like an initiative. Do you think the government, I don't think the government started that trend, but I, I'm, it's definitely a good data set to pull AI or yeah, train an AI. I believe for. in, I, I certainly, it, yeah, it, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it was like. Hey, let's uh, let's uh, start this trend on TikTok next to Tide Pods, <laughs> and or like the ice bucket challenge, but it's definitely very good for facial recognition software to have all of this data freely given. Yeah, I mean to deliberately do that is a little creepy and weird, but at the same time, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and everyone else is selling that data to so many different companies as it already is. So it would it would not be surprising at all if. If this is true. And so, yeah, I, I, I totally buy it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. All right. The next one is the reason Apple removed their headphone jack was to try to remove SquarePay systems as a competitor to Apple Pay. 
So Square Pay systems are basically a credit card scanning like plug-in that you'd plug into the headphone jack. So they remove the headphone jack, not because of we or whatever they said, but because it was a direct competitor to their Apple Pay system. Because there was a bunch of third parties using these. Because like, I remember when we'd go to Amish country and we'd go to the bakery, yeah. they'd have iPads. And I wasn't using Apple Pay. They connected something to their iPad. Yeah, it was just a little thing uh, that you could scan your credit card through and then you could use your credit card. So it's less money going in Apple's pockets. We exactly. know they're hurting right now. You know, they're not. Yeah, Apple is basically bankrupt. Yeah. So They'll never create another phone again. They're struggling. Only Blackberries. Yep. So it makes sense that, you know, the Nokia uh, flip phone is coming back pretty soon. Yeah, no, I believe that. Yeah, I totally. That makes 100% business sense. Yeah. They'll never, like... Admit say to that's it. the reason, but it definitely makes sense. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. All right. Number seven. Women's pants pockets are significantly smaller than men's pants pockets to encourage women to buy handbags and purses. I am totally on board with this one. <laughs> I, again, business sense, that makes sense. That The purse industry's big purse yeah. is huge. No, that, that does make perfect sense. I mean... Um, I'm trying to think of a, a close analogy or something that we could compare this to, like s- similar to this thing over here. This is why people do this. Or like from a fashion design perspective, um, you know, it, it's like a complimentary good. Like if you go back to economics 101, yeah. you buy this because then you also buy this, right? Um, like diapers and beer. Yeah, exactly. Having those two things in a similar place in a grocery store, um, I wish I would have taken an economics class in the past six months, but since I haven't... <laughs> yeah, it's been like, what, seven years? Yeah, since thing. I haven't, it's tough for me to to think of another example. And this is totally not a good one, but it almost reminds me, too, of grocery store placement of cereals. They don't put Fruity Pebbles in the top shelf, Fruity Pebbles in the bottom shelf, yeah. and, you know... Like granola or, uh, like, life or something in the tire shelves for adults. Yeah, because they want the kids to be running through the aisles and pulling that stuff off and throwing it in the... You know the the grocery yeah cart so, and they also want to pull you into the, like the middle aisles opposed to the outer stuff. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's the more uh, processed goods versus the fresher stuff. So you find like vegetables, eggs, milk on the outside, whereas you find like canned tomatoes, soups, and the processed stuff on the inner inner aisles. Yeah, no, I definitely see that. I mean, I worked at in a grocery store for seven years, so. Definitely exposed to a lot of that. Uh, but going back to your original conspiracy, I think that's absolutely the case. It only makes sense that, you know, I think purses are kind of a complimentary good in the sense that, you know, those pockets are not deep, literally. No, not at all. And so it encourages women to uh, buy the old purses. Yeah. So. so. All right. Number eight, genetic services like 23andMe are selling records to the government and insurance companies. And I think this is actually in the terms of service. I was about to say, isn't that like a confidentiality agreement they they I have with the consumer? I think they legally can, um, but I'm not sure. I it, I think it's probably going on. That's one of those like 50-page agreements that I'd yeah. want to read the finer details because I feel like that's illegal yeah. to sell those records. Like even some of the apps that you find in the app store. Like if you go through their shit, they're like, anything you type on your keyboard while in this app or... Even if it's not, like it was the app emoji, like additions. Some of those apps were basically like any text you send on your keyboard, we can uh, take. I was like, whoa, Mm. that's a lot of information. (laughs) What what frustrates me to no end is when people post on Facebook and say, 
like one of those copy and paste exercises. Oh, it's gosh. like, make sure you send this around to all your friends. It's like, I hereby declare that my Facebook photos are mine and Facebook <laughs> yeah, doesn't like, own them. It's like you literally assigned your entire Facebook account away to Facebook the moment you created your account. Yeah. Anything you post on Facebook is owned by Facebook. So yeah. stop it. I've definitely posted that in like fucking high school. Oh, yeah. And I was then. like, wow, I'm an idiot. <laughs> and then I just deleted my Facebook. I would, I would, I say this regrettably, but I would like to go back and see some of my earliest posts on on Facebook. Most of it was like, watch Batman the Animated Series, heading to Kroger for my shift as a dairy partner or dairy guy or whatever, you know, it's just <laughs> like, um, yeah. yeah, it's just. Dude, it's probably cringy as hell. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely will not <laughs> do that. <laughs> I never, my thing was with social media, I never understood statuses. Like, I don't care to read other people's statuses. Why would anyone care to read like, Eating cereal today. Can't wait to crunch on that captain. <laughs> it's like, no, I don't care what you eat. You, I, sh- I barely care what I eat, let alone like people should care about what I eat. That was a thing, right? Facebook status. Yeah, is like, that still not a thing? Is it another thing? You post things to your timeline, but it's a, there was a status at one point when it first came out. I remember you used to rank your friends too. <laughs> like, I thought that was MySpace, that? though. You like, did it on both. Really? Like, I remember there just being a I, giant cube, and you just, like, placed all your friends, and you'd rank them from, like, one to however many I thought you it wanted. automatically ranked them, though. Like, no. it ranked them based off of, like, interactions that you had with it. No, there was a subset of the application on, the like, at least the web version that you could literally rank your friends. That's a horrible idea. <laughs> That's how you lose friends. I know. Oh, you my. ranked me three, Becky? How dare you? Yeah. Well, do you remember, um... Do you remember uh, having a particular song that played when people would visit your MySpace page? I, I never had a MySpace. I barely was allowed on the computer without supervision. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I never had a MySpace. Really? Yeah. I mean, well, because my mom had to sign us into the computer. Because oh, okay. she thought we were going to join a cult or, like, look at porn or whatever. Which is about, like, the time you'd start, like, becoming a teenager. Yeah. But, no, I... No. I never had a MySpace. Did you? What was your song, bro? Well, I mean, it's one of those things you changed all of the time, right? But I mean, one of the songs I remembered most fondly as my MySpace R.A. Lewis 2011 welcome page was uh, Matchbox 20's How Far We've Come. Okay. Good choice. Yeah, yeah. it's a good song. And that's about when that song, I think, was released by the old uh, Rob Thomas and crew. So. so were you one of the first adopters to Facebook? Yeah, I mean, I, I was definitely there in the kind of the inception of it all, right? Uh, I was probably in eighth grade or seventh grade or something like that. Yeah, because it was there. I think middle school was still MySpace. Because it was meant to be kind of a high school, college platform like yeah. for high school students and college students. And of course, now it's just a bunch of parents. It's like pre-LinkedIn yeah. kind of thing. Um, but yeah, no, dude, I had a MySpace. I think I definitely liked MySpace <laughs> more. Because uh, it almost felt kind of like a personal blog that people could come yeah. in, to, come in yeah. leave comments. You know, on the right or left-hand side, you had a list of all of your likes. So your favorite movies, your favorite books, your favorite TV shows, your favorite video games. It just kind of felt like a... It feels less like a cesspool. And yeah. I don't know if that's just the what Facebook has turned into. But yeah, I felt like MySpace was way more personable. It or was, personable. because personal? they were... Yeah. 
and as far as I remember or recollect, they were personal, basically blog pages where people could come and and comment on your page. You change your background to yeah. whatever you wanted it to be. Exactly, but you know, Facebook is more of like there's just this gargantuan timeline. People have profiles, but I don't know how often people are going to individual profiles and and commenting, other than to say happy birthday or whatever. Yeah. But the one thing I miss about Facebook is having everyone's birthday for that day on the side. Mm, yeah. But yeah, I never, I was like, oh, I hope 50 people say happy birthday to me. I'm like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, I don't care. As long as Nala licks my face in the morning as a birthday, like I don't fucking care. <laughs> that's, your pet, that's your pet tarantula, right? <sighs> ben has a tarantula. Oh. It's gross. Yeah. But I think nice. he got it to spite his mom who hates spiders. <laughs> nice. What his parents got So wait, what was the original conspiracy for this? Oh, uh, genetics, 23andMe. Oh. We've, we've gone off the rail on Facebook. Definitely, definitely. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that's a thing um, through the terms and conditions probably that there's they can get give your information out. Most likely through like if you're – if you've done a crime, would mm-hmm. probably be the stipulation of why you'd be able to. I think the the one issue with giving it to insurance companies would be pre-existing conditions. So say you're, because it can say like in your bloodline or based off your genetics, you're more prone to say heart disease or something. So companies could say, we don't want to give you insurance based off of your genetic profile because you're pre, it potentially in the long term could cost us more money for payouts. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, that would be the one ethical question. Not that insurance companies are super ethical, but yeah. Nice. All right. What are we on, eight? Yeah. No, this is number nine. Oh, wow. We're just flying through these. All right. So number nine was skipped. Uh, we were we deemed that one by uh, Rusty's judgment to be not good. So number 10. I know what the good people do and do not want to hear, and that's not something we need yeah. to get into. So, all right, number 10. So the value of expensive art is just pseudo currency for rich people to subtly buy drugs and illicit things such as money laundering and avoiding taxes. So basically you would have one of your friends who's an art inspector say, oh, I think this is worth $10 million because it's an artificial, it's based off of want or it doesn't, art doesn't really have an essential value like currency would. Um, it's, I think, somewhat like a fiat currency. It is what you value it as. Yeah, for sure. So you have someone say, oh, I think this is $10 million. You buy that and then donate it to something that's a tax write-off. Mm. I could definitely see this being a thing. Yeah, because I, art is so subjective. Yeah. It's someone saying, I value this at X or Y. It's all, yeah. I could see that. Yeah, yeah I don't think there's any, any, any objections on my part there. Yeah. I yeah. can see it. For sure. It means uh, I need to create art and have someone price it very high <laughs> before I do prints. <laughs> create an Etsy, man. And yeah. I, you could sell that Kingdom Hearts I'm definitely painting. considering it. Um, I just need to figure out what I want to do for a genre. Yeah. All right. Um, this one, number 11. Mm-hmm. The U.S. does not offer higher education like they do, or for free, like they do for uh, K through 12 or socialized health care. Because those are the two main reasons you would join the military. So similar to like the purses, they're tied together. You incentivize people to like go to college because they can pay it off fully by joining the military and have like five years of service. Mm. So now this is instead of taking out loans, which have like f- uh, extremely high 
um, interest rates. Interest rates. You say I'll take off. I'll go to the military, do five years of service, and get out and go back to civilian life, and they pay for all of your uh, education. So, like Dr. Baker, for medical school, I think he had like seven to ten years of uh, education, but he was in the Navy. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if that's deliberate necessarily, but I can see the correlation. Yeah, I think there's definitely a correlation. I don't think they're, I mean, it was probably considered, but not their main reason for doing that. Yeah, there's a lot more. There's a lot of reasons there, That's why. a very deep topic, but yeah. I think it's a weird coincidence. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. I like this one. Number 12. The Department of Transportation bought way too many orange barrels, so most of them are stored on highways. So all those, like, it looks like no one's working on the roads, but you have those orange barrels that slow you down to 55 because it's a work zone. That's just them not storing them in warehouses because that's expensive. They just store them on the highways. And I fucking 100% believe this is true (laughs) because... There's always construction zones, but no construction. I can definitely see that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially they, on when we would drive up to college, there was, dude, there's always seemingly a construction freaking. project going on for the four for the five years I was going to school there. Yeah. There for was, miles. Yeah. Like almost a hundred miles. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And it makes sense. Like that's how I would store stuff if I were in the transportation department. Yeah, I mean, cause because it, one, it increases number of tickets you can give, and construction zones are double pay, so you increase that quota or help that fund the police departments, and then one, you cut down on warehouse costs. But then I wonder if you know an average civilian got pulled over for speeding in a in a quote unquote construction zone, and they went to court for it, and they fought against that because they were able to prove like there's been no construction going on here for six months i pulled the records because i assume they're public yeah and you were able to prove to the court that no there's actually no construction here there hasn't been for 12 years these been these orange things have been sitting here wasting away yeah i I wonder if you'd actually be able to be kind of refunded if you if you were going like 65 in a 50 on a quote unquote 55 that's normal. Yeah, I want to say if there's signs up like there's orange signs saying construction zone or like saying speed limit 55, you'd probably have to obey that. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Yeah, I mean it would be nice, but I think you definitely lose <laughs> probably. because it's a construction zone, and in theory there are people that you could hit. Yeah, yeah. So, but no, it makes sense. Come on, transportation, buy better. All right. Number 13, a majority of the quote-unquote leaks for the entertainment industry, video games, movies, TVs, are completely purposeful and meant to gauge the general opinion before official announcements. Oh, shit. This is really interesting. And I completely agree with this. I, I don't think For the it's, most part. Yeah, I don't think it's a, uh, like a one-size-fits-all, 100% true in every instance, but like, and I hate to, to... Like Elden Ring would probably be an example of one, they FromSoft hates leaks, Yeah. so they went hard on the people who leaked it. So that one was probably not a purposeful gauge because they know their shit's awesome. But I think for other things, like um, probably the Snyder Cut, Yeah. saying, hey, like leak out that that's a potential... That was probably gauging the audience. Mm-hmm. Plus, everyone hated Justice League, so. I think a really interesting one is Halo Infinite. 
Yeah. Because, you know, when that game was initially revealed, you know, we'd seen footage and screenshots leading up to the, the big reveal last fall leading up to the Series X launch. But if they didn't show footage and it didn't have the the overwhelming negative response that it received from the public and critics alike, I think that game would have launched with the Series X. Yeah. I think I they think so. fully planned on releasing it, but that negative of a response they were like no we microsoft and 343 were like we have to go back to the drawing board yeah because we cannot release a halo game after five guardians wasn't received super well and this is the flagship series that i mean it's like releasing a half-baked mario game a 3d mario game like nintendo just wouldn't do it or breath of the wild 2 if it played like that like ass. Yeah, exactly. They, they just wouldn't release a game like that. So, but whether they were intentional of putting it out there and saying like, this is an earlier build, you know, Let, let's just show them a build from six months ago. But the problem is the first trailer that was purely Chief and the co-pilot in the ship, like Finding Chief, that one was received, I think, really well. Like a year with, prior. Yeah, a year prior with like the amount of detail in the dude's face, the mm-hmm. pilot's face. And then they basically reverted all their graphics down, and then it was like, hey, this kind of looks bad. Yeah. But, like, I don't know if that was a leak, or it was, like, a similar kind of concept. But I think sometimes leaks are gauged as a, hey, what's the water feeling like? Are people for this or against it? I could definitely and see And marketing-wise, it, it's a very cheap way of marketing or gauging your overall revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for bigger stuff, you probably don't want to do it, but I I think it's very cheap marketing to say, hey, here's the buzz on the internet about this. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other examples, but I think other good ones too, you know, surrounding stuff like E3 or a Nintendo Direct or a Microsoft conference, PlayStation State to Play, whatever it is, if little details get out, you know, someone at Insomniac or someone at Playground Games or Machine Gun Games, whatever these studios, someone throws a tweet out there or puts something on Reddit to kind of get a buzz going. Yeah. Well, then it gets millions of people all stirred up and excited. And that's millions of people now tuning in to those things, whether it's the Game Awards or whether it's E3 or whatever. And a lot of those, you know, the Game Awards being a perfect example, a lot of that show continuing is how many people are tuning in. Yeah. That's how they're making their money. Or like the, I think the uh, Nintendo Switch Pro information leaked early mm-hmm. and some of those lineups for the 2020 shows definitely leaked. Yeah. Um, so. Well, now too, you know, you, you've disgruntled employees, especially with the way video game development goes. You know, The Last of Us Part Two being a perfect example mm-hmm. of the information that came out leading up to that game's launch. And a lot of people saying it was going to be a commercial flop because of the details that released. And Neil Druckmann was forced to come forward with the video on his phone. And he just looked beside himself and said, like, listen, this game is so much more than the leak that you've heard. This story is so much bigger than the three words or the two words that you've heard that's been leaked onto the Internet. You know, so, gosh, we could record an entire episode about that. And, you know, the only examples that I have off the top of my head are are stuff like leaking before a Game Awards or a big conference or Halo Infinite. But I feel like there's a lot of research to be had in that department of intentional or unintentional leaks that release for come up with a list and say yay or nay yeah for movies and and games and stuff that'd be fun yeah that'd be an interesting maybe an uh you know conspiracy theories part three all right video game leaks are they real or are they not (laughs) yeah that's interesting so it's a good one 
Um, the number fourteen is Trader Joe's, or Trader Joe's makes their parking lots small on purpose to make them seem more popular than they really are. I could see that. I haven't been to Trader Joe's in like a decade. Yeah, because um, they really it's more expensive. It's very expensive. They're premium products, and whether the quality is actually um, they do sell meatless meatballs though, which mm. taste horrible. Yeah. His mom was like, let's try these meatless meatballs that are just, I guess, balls. So, yeah. I could see them doing this. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're trying to market under the premise of prestige to your brand, then showing increased demand by artificially lowering the amount of people in your uh, parking lot is a good way to do it. I was about to say, there's got to be an economics term for that, too. Um, Demand. Yeah, I mean, supply just, versus demand for just, parking spots. Yeah, just a simple, and yes. then tying that to your parking lot or your Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. I could definitely see them. Yeah, I could that. see it, I and mean, it's it's tough for me to to gauge the truth of it, just because I haven't been to Trader Joe's in forever. I don't even know what their parking lots look like. I mean, like. compare that to like something like Walmart or Myers or Kroger's, yeah, where it's just vast. <laughs> it's a sea, sea of parking spaces. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I could uh, see it. All right, and then the last one, number fifteen. The 2018 Hawaii Missile False Alarm was a test to see how the public would react to that situation. Say that again. When was this? Uh, 2018. Mm -hmm. Basically, there was an alarm alert that went out across Hawaii that basically said, hey, there's a missile inbound. And people, uh, I guess, reacted in different ways. Some people just turned on like a movie with their children and just watched that expecting like a missile to come hit Hawaii. And like other people like panicked and like they didn't like things. I don't know if people lit things on fire, but probably. So they, the conspiracy is that was done on purpose to gauge what the public in a controlled environment would do reacting to missiles inbound. Interesting. Um, I could see it. I, I haven't heard of this. I I'm surprised this wasn't like on news headlines. Maybe it was, and I just completely yeah. missed it. Uh, yeah, and I guess I'm trying to to tie this to what was going on in the news. Like if if you know North and South Korea stuff was kind of no. I think I think this was just a guy. I don't think this is true. Um, it would be they probably got valuable data from it to okay. see how the public reacted. But I think it was a guy who just clicked the wrong button when he's going through stuff, and they then realize, I think like 15 minutes plus later, that, oh shit, we have missiles inbound. Just kidding. False alarm sent out mass texts. Interesting. But okay. I, I think it was just a guy who did it on accident, but they probably got the same amount of data or the same data to see how people reacted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see it. Um, I just hadn't heard of this before. Yeah. Interesting news article for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know how many I said yes or no to, but those were definitely some interesting ones. I think my favorite was definitely the, you know, are these leaks intentional in the industry, yeah, entertainment industry? Those not. were all the ones I could find that weren't like political or about specific like people, mm-hmm. um, which are less relatable. So, okay, yeah, interesting. Well, if you don't mind, we're only at an hour and 25 minutes. I actually did have one kind of conspiracy theory thing to talk through today. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. So I meant to bring this to our first conspiracy theory episode, but you had so many great ones. And I think we talked for over like two and a half hours that I was, I kind of tabled it and figured, okay, we'll do this. We'll get, we'll get to this in the future. Okay. And this is an article that I saw posted. Someone posted it on uh, Twitter 
and I stumbled across it about two years ago when we did our conspiracy theory episode, or a year and a half ago, whenever it was, and I just thought it was fascinating. And so it's less of a, a conspiracy theory and more of a freak accident that happened back in 1959 and people still trying to make sense of what went down. Okay. All right. So people may have heard of this. It's, and I'm going to probably mispronounce a lot of the things in this article, so forgive me in advance, but it's called the Dyatlov Pass Incident. Have you heard of this? Never heard of it. No. All right. So the headline says, despite 60 plus years of speculation about the deaths of nine skiers in Russia, Russia's Ural Mountains in 1959, the Dyatlov Pass incident remains an unsolved mystery. Mm-hmm. Shall I continue? Yes. In 1959, the frozen bodies of nine member ski hiking expedition of nine member, sorry, in 1959, the frozen bodies of a nine member ski hiking expedition that had gone missing weeks before in northern Earls of the Soviet Union were found near their campsite on a mountain called uh, Kolot Saikal, which according to Russian sources means dead mountain in the indigenous Mansi language. Made up of mostly students and graduates from the Earl Polytechnic Institute a few hundred miles away in Yekaterinburg, the, <laughs> then <laughs> called a word I can't pronounce. It's, it's some kind of region in the Soviet Union back then, apparently. The team had set out on January 27th to reach another mountain about seven miles away. Gora Otorten, which means don't go there in this indigenous language. After being sidetracked by a snowstorm, they pitched a tent on the eastern slope uh, of this mountain on February 2nd. That night, they died. Apart from the fact that they froze to death, no one knows why. Police and military investigators charged with solving the case were baffled by what they found. The skiers' tents had been sliced open from the inside and hurriedly abandoned. Their belongings were still inside, but the skiers were not. The placement and condition of their bodies, some found as far as a kilometer and a half away, which is almost a mile, from the tent and buried under four meters, which equates to 13 feet of snow, were odd, to say the least. So this is an article from 2013 uh, from The Telegraph that described the quote-unquote grisly scene. Well, I'm, I'm curious if they were naked. So here's the, the description. Investigators found footprints in the snow of eight or nine people who were wearing socks, a single shoe, or were barefoot. Mm-hmm. The footsteps led towards a dense forest, but were disappeared, but disappeared after 500 meters. The first two bodies of two men, barefoot and dressed only in their underclothes, were found at the edge of the forest near the remains of a fire. The next three bodies of expedition leader Igor Dyatlov and another man and woman were found between the fire and the tent suggesting that they had been trying to return the tent. Autopsies failed to find any, any evidence of foul play. An inquest concluded that all five bodies, or all five people, had died of hypothermia. Two months later, however, the partially dressed bodies of the other four members of the team were discovered in a forest ravine not far from the first two bodies. They, peer, they appeared to have suffered traumatic pressure or crush injuries, and the tongue of one of them had been ripped out. Otherwise, there were no external injuries, but tests conducted on their bodies and clothing showed small traces of radiation. Interesting. The investigators concluded enigmatically that the skiers died because they encountered a, quote, natural force that they were unable to overcome. 
Public access to the site was banned for three years. The results of the investigation were classified. If ever there were a surefire recipe to whip up rumors and conspiracy theories, this was it. The conclusion was vague. The evidence was under lock and key. There were too many questions left unanswered. Why, for example, did the skiers flee the relatively safe or the relative safety of the tent? Why did they leave their belongings, including warmer clothing, behind on, in these harsh conditions? Why did some of them simply freeze to death while others showed signs of internal trauma? Who or what removed the tongue of one of the victims? Why were there traces of radiation on their clothing? And what about the UFOs? <laughs> what do you think, Ryan? Well, a common side effect of hypothermia is actually your body gets warm. Um, it's be it's what happens when your organs start shutting down. So it's very common for people to start taking off all of their clothes in order to warm up mm-hmm. or to cool off, even though they're freezing to death, essentially. And then after that takes place, generally the next step is they curl up and try to curl up in like a secluded, like under a rock or like a cave. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they do that, but that's generally the process of freezing to death. You get super warm from your organs shutting down, and then you curl up in a ball. So that kind of explains why they'd be taking off all their clothes if they mentioned hypothermia or being cold. Um, depending on altitude, lack of oxygen, you make really shitty decisions when your brain doesn't get enough oxygen. Yeah. Um, so like people at the top of Mount Everest where you can't survive for very long, they end up sitting down and then they're like, no, I'll just I'm good. I'll rest kind of thing. Because they're loopy and making really bad decisions from lack of oxygen. Um, and then they end up dying there. Like, there's hundreds of people who have died on Everest. And they actually, like, mark specific spots on the mountain for, like, turning different ways. Um, but it doesn't, since it doesn't mention altitude, that would be one reason that they would run out of their tents, which would be a poor decision. But I would say probably hypothermia makes the most amount of sense. UFOs? That was just the, an article. Yeah, I know. The author <laughs> just kind of joking around. Probably. But there's so I many... think aliens are everywhere. Me too. Yeah. But there's so many things to unpack here because... Their I don't tents... know radiation or tongues. Yeah, so yeah, a lot of things to unpack. So their tents were ripped open. So if they were loopy and the altitude was affecting them psychologically, maybe they, they had... But there was... See, there's so much that... So many details that aren't in this article because if they had knives or machetes or whatever, they could have just cut through their tents maybe one of them kind of just went nuts and ripped through the tent kind of started chasing after the other ones cut out the tongue of one of them but there not being any signs of foul play like there's just so many gaps yeah in what actually went down here yeah i mean the tongue thing could be an animal because they found them what a month or so later Mm -hmm. so that could always be like they were eaten a little bit. But I don't know why specifically their tongue. If there's and not no other else. markings on the body, there was no nothing that suggested foul play. It's not like the, they were missing an arm or there was a bunch of scrapes or bruises on them. Just their tongue was missing. Like that's 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 really fucked up. Maybe they're going for like naked jogging knife tag, where like the person they're trying to tag, you have to cut out his tongue. <laughs> the radiation thing. I like I don't know when Chernobyl happened, like this specific year, because mm-hmm. this was what fifty nine. Mm-hmm. That sounds like it's before. I think that Chernobyl was the eighties, so the radiation wouldn't have been there. Well, there's right. three potential. There's three, four. There's oh, a lot. Well, I want to say, I mean, 
in a being in a plane is a higher level of radiation so maybe there's a higher level of radiation per altitude mm. so being higher up they'd be like the background radiation is more severe it could be yeah so there's four theories here okay that people have come up with over the years and uh, I'll go ahead and read through these and we can kind of dissect them and see uh, piece together our own theory Ryan okay <clears throat> so this first one is fireballs in the sky that was my second guess yep so it was reported that eyewitnesses in the northern Urals saw fast-moving balls of fire in the night sky around the time of the Dyatlov Pass incident. It's been suggested plausibly that there were Soviet missiles or rocket tests, mm-hmm. but another theory, and here we encounter the earliest paranormal explanation of the incident, holds that the fireballs, whatever they in fact may have been, exploded or emitted a beam of unspecified energy that directly caused the skiers to die. That theory was proposed 31 years after the fact, oddly enough by one of the original investigators in the case, a former public prosecutor named Lev Ivanov. But Ivanov's fireball theory presupposes that the reported sightings match up with the actual date of the incident, February 2nd, an an assumption that has been challenged by another author, Russian mountaineer uh, Evgeny Boyanov who says he found no verifiable reports of unidentified flying objects in the Urals on those dates. Before Ivanov's 1990 article came out, the predominant explanations for the Dyatlov deaths focused on straightforward natural causes. Avalanche or animal attack, for example, human attack, though not impossible, was ruled out by investigators for lack of evidence. Or secret government activity such as military or KGB operation, the skiers unknowingly stumbled upon. Despite the declassification and release of the case files in the, invest- in the intervening years, the contents of which were eventually published online, the original documents did little to resolve lingering quandaries and in fact only seemed to prompt further outlandish speculation. I think that's kind of ridiculous. I don't think there were like UFOs shooting beams at them. Um... I could see, because 1969 is when we landed on the moon, mm-hmm. the U.S., but they were testing shit. I don't know, USSR, how early they are testing stuff, but they're theorized to be um, the first couple, like, cosmonauts on the Russian side weren't documented because they died in space. Mm. So they never made the full round trip. So whether it was similar to, like, the Challenger or whatnot, those fireballs could have been exploding rockets. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd assume you have more radiation on those than a normal, but if there's no evidence to show that debris is anywhere near them or landed close to them, it doesn't really make any sense. Well, it's tough to subscribe to any one theory just because of how so many of the different bodies were affected by how they died. You know, the hyperthermia, the tongue missing, their clothes missing, their tent being ripped apart. Like, yeah, it doesn't sound like, you know, potential rockets or beams from a UFO would cause all of those things. You know? Yeah. I think the, the five joggers in their underwear was probably hypothermia, but the ravine group, like the four or whatever was left that were radi had radiation and like missing one missing tongue. I think is the weirder portion. Yeah, so now we get into this next theory, the Yeti hypothesis. The most outlandish hypothesis to date was proposed in June of 2014 Discovery Channel documentary called, spoiler alert, Russian Yeti, The Killer Lives. This is from the press release announcing the show's first airing. 
On February 2nd, 1959, nine college students hiked up the icy slopes of the Ural Mountains in the heart of Russia, but never made it out alive. Investigators have never been able to give a definitive answer behind who, or what, caused the bizarre crime scene. 55 years later, American explorer Mike Lebecki reinvestigates the mystery, the mystery known as the Dyatlov Pass incident. But, he uncover, but what he uncovers is truly horrifying. Following the trail of evidence, Mike finds proof that the hikers were not alone. A photograph taken by one of the hikers a day before they died suggests that they encountered a Yeti. Yes, you read that right. According to the Discovery Channel, the Dyatlov group met their deaths at the hand of a Yeti, also known as the Abominable Snowman. <laughs> or if you prefer Bigfoot's, Bigfoot's Asian cousin, that sounds racist and ridiculous, it has been <laughs> long rumored that Yeti-like beasts inhabit the wilds of Siberia and the Ural Mountains to the west. Although, like everywhere else, their so-called hairy hominins have allegedly been cited, no one has come forward with verifiable evidence of their existence. Nevertheless, the show's host, Mike Lebecki, said the Dyatlov Pass incident proves the real. Quote, When I found out one of the students was missing a tongue, immediately I knew this was not caused by an avalanche, Lebecki said. Something ripped out the tongue of this woman. That something, Lebecki naturally concluded, could have been a yeti. As further evidence, he presented a, an alleged photo of the Yeti displayed in the tweet below, snapped by a member of the Dyatlov expedition. Did this creature stalk and kill the nine victims of the hashtag Dyatlov pass incident? Photo found on a victim's camera. Which I haven't seen this. How about we click on this real yeah. quick? See if it's still there. You have a virus. <laughs> yeah. Did this creature stalk and kill the nine victims of the Dyatlov pass incident? Photo found on victim's camera. That's such a stereotypical, like... Yeah, like man in the woods. Yeah, I mean... Blurred, very bad... uh, Bad quality, a blurred picture. That really could have been one of them. Yeah, you just never know. Um, So yet, no matter how many times one hears the out-of-focus figure described as a yeti or a creature, or something other than human, the fact is that it resembles nothing so much as an ordinary adult male human being. And no matter how many times one repeats the claim that the only reasonable explanation for one of the Dyatlov bodies missing a tongue is that a yeti pulled it out, it pales beside the straightforward hypothesis that her tongue was devoured by a scavenging animal or decomposed due to a constant contact with the stream of running water where the body was found. In any case, it wasn't just the tongue that was missing. According to the Dyatlov autopsy reports, also missing was some soft tissue around the woman's eyes, eyebrows, nose bridge, upper lip, and cheekbone, not to mention the eyes themselves. So the eyes and tongue were missing. Mm. The problem with proposing Yeti attacks and killer UFOs as the answer (laughs) to the Dyatlov puzzle is obvious. They render it more mysterious, not less. And while isn't entirely implausible that secret government shenanigans were in play, we're talking about Cold War era Soviet Union after all, even that is speculative outreach insofar as it is based on assumptions not evidence yeah i'd have to go with extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence on this one yeah i'd expect if a yeti were to attack one if yetis are real that more of the body would be gone not Um, yeah not just her body too other soft tissue and cartilage would be dissolved in more extreme conditions yeah and if she was if her face was exposed to the river i mean that could have been fish or other kind of um river creatures i don't even know yeah you know eating away i mean 
if yetis were to exist, Siberia would be the place that, like, the environment would call for that level of evolution, though. Yeah. Yeah. But that'd be one hairy-ass man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what the hell would yetis even... Yeah. I don't agree with the Yeti one. I don't either. Uh, this next one, shall we keep going? Yes. Is, is this interesting? Yeah, I think the fireballs right now are the most reasonable. <laughs> Plausible. Yeah, Yetis went down at a couple notches. But yeah. Let's see what number three is. The infrasound hypothesis. The same applies to some of the... What is that word, Ryan? Putatively? Putatively. Sure. Putatively scientific explanations offered up in recent years. Author Donnie Eicher proposed in his 2013 book dead mountain the untold true story of the diatlov pass incident for example that the skiers may have been driven to hysteria by infrasound waves caused by a weather phenomenon known as a carmon vortex street in simplest terms a carmen vortex street is an oscillating pattern that emerges when a fluid or gas in this instance wind flows around a suitably shaped object in this instance, a topographical feature, the mountain, when they occur on such a large scale, these wind patterns can theoretically generate very low-frequency sound waves that they've been blamed for harmful psychological and psychological symptoms in human beings. According to a 2001 review of the medical literature by the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, such symptoms range from annoyance to fatigue to nausea. Eicher argues that just such a phenomenon may have occurred under extremely high wind conditions on Colot Sykal the night of the incident. The resulting bombardment of the skiers by infrasound waves induced severe panic and caused to flee the safety of their tent and meet their deaths. But never mind the what-ifs entailed in supposing that the wind interacted with the dome of Kailat Sykal in just such a way as to produce the low-frequency sound effects required, the fact is that that is that acoustic scientists are far from sure that infrasound exposure causes even the mildest symptoms that have been attributed to it, much less extreme panic. Mm, Probably not, uh, but there is a specific sound range that they use for scary video games or scary movies that create anxiety or fear. John Carpenter was a mastermind in the original Halloween. Yeah. Those high-pitched screeches. Like the, all those synth sounds. You saw it in It Follows, too. Yeah, I don't know the exact frequency, but if you search, like, uh, the scary frequency or whatever in YouTube, you'll be able to find the specific frequency. So I can see that being a part, maybe, but probably not what drove them to insanity. No. Yeah, I'm with you there. So we'll, I'll be okay a little bit with the theory three. Fireballs and sound, I'm cool with. Yeah. For the most part. Well, we have one final hypothesis. All right, this one's it. <laughs> this is how they died. <laughs> this is the avalanche hypothesis. We don't pretend to have the solution to the diet law of mystery, but some of the facts of the case point to an ex- explanation that doesn't require such a colossal leap of faith. One thing we do know induces panic in people on a snow-covered mountainside is an avalanche. And while the number of skiers and hikers known to have been killed by infra waves to date is zero, avalanches are known to kill approximately 150 skiers, snowmobilers, and snowboarders worldwide every single year, according to National Geographic. Moreover, the crushing weight of the four meters of snow, uh, an advertisement just kicked me a little bit up here... 
So moreover, the crushing weight of the four meters of snow under which the last four bodies in the Dyatlov group were found, possibly deposited there by an avalanche, could account for their internal injuries. According to meteorological data compiled by uh, Evgeny Boyanov, temperatures in the vicinity of the skiers campsite dropped precipitously from minus 11 degrees Celsius to as low as minus 25 degrees Celsius on the night of February 1st, 1959. Wind speeds are estimated to have reached between 8 to 16 meters per second, with gusts likely even higher. Without adequate protection, frostbite, hyperthermia, and death are virtually guaranteed under such conditions, and within a very short period of time. Autopsy reports say the proximate cause of death of all but one of the Dyatlov victims, even those who suffered internal trauma, was hypothermia. Did an avalanche occur? We don't know, but one could have, and could account for some unexplained aspects of the incident, including why the skiers fled their tent and why some sustained the kinds of injuries they did. One may object that an avalanche doesn't explain everything. The radio, the radioactivity found on some of the bodies, for example. Granted, but neither does a Yeti attack, a carman <laughs> vortex street, nor given that we don't even have proof that they were in the vicinity when the skiers met their fate due to unidentified flying balls of fire. So that's that theory. But then there is an update here to the article. It says, in January 2021, the avalanche hypothesis garnered scientific support via a study that used computer modeling to simulate the effects of a particular kind of snowslide event called a delayed slab avalanche. The research demonstrated that a small but deadly avalanche could have occurred despite the absence of certain conditions that normally precede such an event and even explained how the victims could have sustained some of the strange atypical injuries that were found. Yeah, I think this one is probably the most plausible. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, it lines up most with the injuries, injuries covered in snow, um, the franticness. Um, taking off your clothes was probably a symptom of, I mean, it sounds like half of them got away from or avoided the avalanche where the other four got swept away. Mm-hmm. Um, ra- I don't, radiation is still kind of weird. Um, for like one of the issues with glaciers melting is... There's permafrost, which like has a shit ton of carbon dioxide trapped underneath these glaciers. So as the glaciers go away, that permafrost thaws and that carbon dioxide is released, released from all of the the dead creatures below it, mm-hmm. right? From over thousands of years. Millions, yeah. Millions, thousands, billions, <laughs> quadrillions of years. And, Let's get a calculator uh, out. Yeah. Um, so... Potentially there was, this is all conjecture, is maybe there's radiation trapped in the snow that Mm -hmm. was released when the snow moved. Yeah, and I think for me, you know, if I was assessing this and I was at the scene or whatever, I think what I would come down to is they were probably in their tent. All of them were freezing to death and, you know, subjected to these conditions and then they were all kind of in a state of panic. Yeah. And that's when they probably knifed their way out of the tent. Some of them just started running for their life, even though there was nowhere that they were going to run yeah. to seek shelter or anything like that. Some of them made it farther than the others. And the ones that were covered in, you know, 13 feet of snow, maybe that helped happen well after the fact that they just collapsed, died. Mm. Then an avalanche happened or there was a, a large snowfall that covered their bodies over the course of however many weeks it was before they were found. 
Yeah, that's very possible. Too. And then the person that fell in the river, you know, that was missing a tongue. I think it's very plausible that an animal of some sort scavenging the mountainsides saw this person, kind of ripped up their face, clawed at it, ripped out the tongue, ate it, whatever. Like that's just what you know, kind of vicious animals do. And yeah, vicious predators. Yeah, the friction of the water. Yeah, had more. It decomposed it quicker yeah. in that specific area opposed to being frozen. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it goes without saying that reading an article like this and theorizing and, and thinking about all of the what-ifs mm-hmm. is certainly interesting. I mean, it's tragic because nine people died on, on a mountainside here, but um, it certainly makes for interesting discussion. Yeah, so. definitely. Um, yeah, similar to this, Mr. Bolin, as I mentioned earlier, has stuff that's like unsolved in the theories. So if you like this type of shit, go look his look at his channel yeah i'll definitely do that it sounds really great all right well i think that's a wrap ryan uh this dietlov pass incident you know kicked us back another 25 ish minutes so hopefully everyone found that interesting hopefully everyone found the conspiracy theories that ryan brought to the table pretty interesting i love doing this type of stuff uh it's it's fun you know every 10 15 20 episodes to to take a break from the video game discussion in Talk about something like conspiracy theories. It's it's wacky. It's wild. I know there's a lot of people out there in the world that obviously believe a lot of these things, uh, but it just makes for really fascinating discussions. Yeah. So, and we don't want the discussion to stop here. Let us know in the Discord. What do you think actually went down on the Dietlov Pass incident? Do you uh you think a Yeti took him out? Do you think uh you know crazy fireballs from the sky? Fireballs and UFOs? from <laughs> the sky or you know, radiation, who knows? Yeah. There's all kinds of, of plausible theories out there, but we'd love to hear from you. We'd also, you know, as I always say every week, Ryan and I don't ask for much, but we'd love to hear what you think about the show. Whether you write into us at otakabrotherspodcast at gmail.com, you have something to say, you have a question, you have an audio question, whatever makes the show better, we're all about it. You can also go over to the old Apple iTunes, leave us a review, rate us five stars. We'll read your review right here in the show, give you a little shout out. We'd very much appreciate it. All right. But Ryan and I will be back next week. I don't think we have a topic of discussion locked in yet, but uh, I know we'll be talking more about Marvel's Avengers, and, and Ryan's going to platinum ukulele this week, so yeah, should be pretty sure. good stuff. <laughs> but uh, Ryan, you, you had a ton of fun facts today. You, you got, I mean, as we always do at the end of an episode, do you have any parting words for our listeners? Any, any new fun facts for us? Yeah, uh, have a good week, and if you have any uh, unique conspiracy theories, uh, let us know. Post in the Discord. All right. Well, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everyone, once again for the support. And we'll be back next week for another episode.